You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, I know a lot of you guys are in the woods right now. You are uh, using your flashlights, getting trail camera pictures, all of that stuff. I'm going to tell you that you need to be using Interstate Batteries for all your battery needs. You can visit them online or at your local Interstate Battery store today. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Parker McDonald, and this is episode number 98. Today on the show, we are joined by our good buddy, Shane Simpson. Now, Shane's a northern guy right now, but he hails from the state, I believe, of South Carolina. So he's a southern boy, so we figured we could have him on the show. But we're going to talk all about uh, tracking with a dog. I I asked Shane several questions that are very scenario-based, based on where you think you hit the animal and when you should be calling a dog tracker. This is the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Um, I apologize that we did not get an episode out last week. It was, uh, it was just the opening weekend of deer season here in Alabama and, uh, you know, things got, things got Western. Uh, I was able to actually kill a deer last week. We talk about it a little bit in this episode, but this is really the first episode, um, since then. And actually I killed my second deer tonight in Alabama and, uh, and then Drew also killed a deer uh yesterday or day before yesterday maybe it was day before yesterday anyway um so we got we got several deer on the ground um if you have uh checked out the southern ground hunting youtube channel uh the video from the first deer that i killed last weekend is already up and uh ready for you to watch it if you haven't seen it yet i'd uh i'd super appreciate it if you go check it out and uh if you're not subscribed to the channel um Go check it out. I, uh, I think you'll enjoy what you see there. Um, but I want to talk to you really quickly. Today we're, we're talking to, to Shane Simpson. And Shane is, uh, you, you may have seen Shane um, from Calling All Turkeys. Um, he's been in some of the THP videos, some of the Tethered videos. Uh, Shane is just a really, really good dude. And most of the time when you hear Shane talking on a podcast, he's talking about turkey hunting. But for this episode, I really wanted to key in on Shane Shane has a, a, a tracking dog named Callie and he has a YouTube channel dedicated to those tracks it's called Callie Chronicles and um, and so I thought Shane would be a great guest especially for the beginning of the season you guys are out in the woods 
you're you're killing deer, you're, you're shooting deer with a bow, and um, sometimes the shot can be less than desirable, or maybe you feel like you put a great shot on it, but the blood trail is not really showing what you want to see. Maybe your arrow looks great, but there's just so many different scenarios. And so I try to go through a lot of different scenarios with Shane, and we talk about a lot of the data that he's accumulated over the years. Shane does a really good job of of uh, writing down and, and noting just about everything that, that happens from the arrow, um, the, uh, the broadhead type, whether it's a mechanical, whether it's a fixed blade. Um, he even does some of the, some of the stats with um, different brands of broadhead. And he's put all this stuff together, and you can check it out on the Cali Chronicles for sure. But on this podcast, we really go through different scenarios that you might find yourself in. So I figured starting off the season, this is a, uh, an information-rich podcast. And hopefully, if you're like me, when I listen to podcasts, especially scenario-based podcasts like this, um, these things always come back to my memory when I find myself in a similar situation. So um, this is a great episode. I really enjoyed talking with Shane. Shane's a really cool guy. And uh, this is actually our second dog tracking episode. We did one with Ammon McKinney. I believe it was episode like three. It was it was way back at the beginning of Southern Ground, the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. But I uh, figured we'd do a little refresher here and uh, and talk about some of the stats that Shane has accumulated. Um, but before we get into that, I want to talk about um, you know we we've we talked to Troy Fowler, the Ranch Ferry, here uh, a couple months ago, and um, it's very much been on an upward trend for deer hunters, especially a lot of public land guys and, uh, and stuff like that to, to start building heavier arrow setups. Well, as you guys know, I did that this year and, um, I'm not going to say last year I had planned on trying to do that. Um, but I just didn't have quite the knowledge. There wasn't the, the content available and, uh, I knew I needed to change something though. And so this year I did it and I've shot two deer now with these setups and I'm going to tell you this neither one of them have gotten out of my sight in fact both deer um the one the first one last weekend I shot it through the back it was a hard quarter away shot at 30 yards and I was aiming like mid-body and hoping it would come out the um the the shoulder the opposite shoulder well I don't know if the deer took a step or something or my my aim was just off there was a lot of a lot of uh, variables that could have happened there, but I ended up going in the back leg and out the guts, and that deer ran, not really ran, it hopped like 20 yards and fell over, and the dang thing was dead before its before its head hit the ground. Like it never it never moved, it never flinched, it was just dead, and I was like, holy cow! And at that point, I thought I'd you know my shot was true. I didn't realize where I'd actually hit the deer at, and. Uh, it, I mean, it was amazing to me. It was absolutely amazing. Obviously, it was a full pass-through, straight through that hip, which was incredible. It blew through the hip, came out, passed through, and the broadhead was still sharp. In fact, it's still on my quiver right now. I didn't resharpen it because it didn't need it. It was sharp. It was razor sharp after all that damage or after after all that that it went through. And uh, and so that was incredible. I'm using the VPA 2-blade. Um uh, 175 grain with a 70 grain ethics insert. Um, my, my full arrow weight, my total arrow weight is only about 500 grains, a little over 500 grains altogether. 
but it, I mean, I have a short draw length. It's their 26 inch arrows. So my FOC is actually um, like 20.4%, which is pretty high. That's really good. And so I was obviously super impressed after that. Well, go to today and um, I shot this deer and it was a very similar shot. It, it was at my in my saddle at my six o'clock. So directly behind me, um, the deer was on alert. It had actually she had actually blown like 25 times uh, before I was able to shoot her. Um, shot her quartered away at 30 yards, almost exactly the same. But my shot was actually true this time. And it went in mid mid body, came out the shoulder, and uh, she did the same thing. And maybe, maybe even less. Like she may have went, uh, she may have gone uh, less than the first one, and died in sight on camera. Like they don't even know what's going on whenever you shoot them. It is absolutely incredible to watch. I feel like I'm shooting a gun at them. I mean, I feel that confident at this point that they're just not going to go anywhere. People talk about it. Dead deer don't, don't run. And they, they just act like they don't know what happened. They heard a loud noise and they run a couple, couple steps and turn around and look around like what in the world just happened. Then all of a sudden they start to fold because their body is now realizing, Oh, I'm about to die. And this is exactly what happened tonight. And it was just it was just cool to watch, and and I say all that to say, um, this episode we talk a little bit about that. What I want to see happen, what I want to see you get from this episode, is how to be more lethal with your with your bow setup, with your arrow setup, with whatever. I mean, if you're confident with mechanicals, by all means, I'm not telling you that you have to switch and that you're stupid for not switching. I'm not saying that at all. I did it for years. But what I am saying is I want to, I want you to have the best chance to recover the deer that you shoot and not to wound it um, and not to kill it and not be able to recover it. Um, we talk about it a lot in this episode, but I did want to mention just my personal experiences. Drew had the same experience, and next time we talk, we'll, we'll, we'll get the full story from Drew about everything that happened. But Drew's shooting like a 4,000-grain arrow. At, this, at these deer, he's uh, Drew's a Drew's a large Viking man, and uh, he has a long draw length, and uh, I, I want to say that he's using the 300 grain VPA heads, if I'm not mistaken. I believe he's using 300 grains with like a hundred grain insert. I mean, these things are meat missiles; they're insane. And uh, same thing happened. The doe that he shot ran 40 yards, piled up. Like she didn't even know what happened. It's just, it works. I'm, I say all that to just let you know, like it works. Don't feel like it's a gimmick. I'm telling you, I wanted to be more lethal and I feel like I am more lethal. It really feels like I'm shooting, like I'm shooting them with a gun. I've had more deer, I've had deer run further with a gun than I've had these, these past couple deer run. And the first one on a less than desirable shot. So. That being said, I hope you guys enjoy this. I hope you take notes. Um, I'm really excited about this episode. And like I said, uh, you can check out the YouTube channel if you want to see more of a, a, a firsthand look at the at the uh, the scenarios and the the situations that happen for me with my setup. Um, before we get into the show, I want to remind you that you can use the code Southern Ground, all lowercase and all one word, at ScreeGear.com. 
if you want to uh, check out some of their some of their stuff. I've obviously been using it all season long. Used it today, and it's actually a pretty cool setup today. Um, I was wearing my uh, Summit Mountain. Wait, maybe it's Mountain Stealth. Mountain Stealth pattern, which is the kind of darker more digital camo look um really more like tree bark almost and uh it worked perfect for my setup because i was uh in between two pines and i was actually leaning up against one pine and like the the way that it blended in with that with that pine uh pine bark was incredible so obviously we don't care too terribly much about patterns but it did work incredibly well with this uh with this setup that i had um you can check out all their stuff they've got a really cool line of of new things uh, they got the ultralight hoodie that i've been using a little bit for a couple of these little cold snaps that we've had and uh, i'll tell you one thing the, this past weekend it rained uh friday and saturday and yesterday on me it rained freaking hard it was not letting up and uh, i i actually got the rain suit from Scree this year and it held up so good I'm uh, I'm super happy with that decision so go and check them out ScreeGear.com use the code Southern Ground you'll save 10% on your your purchase so uh, with that being said let's let's get in this episode sorry this was a long long intro but I wanted to tell you guys all that stuff before uh, before we got into this episode so let's get in this conversation with Shane Simpson All right, everybody, on the line with us today, we have got a very special guest, Mr. Shane Simpson. Shane, how's it going? Uh, not bad. How you doing? Man, we're doing, we're doing well here. Uh, I didn't get to hunt tonight like, <laughs> like the rest of you guys did. Um, I, I sat at home and uh, edited a video and uh, watched the Lorax with my little girl and uh went and got chick-fil-a for the family it was great it really was great um were you were you editing the video that i saw go up earlier yes evening? yes i did that this afternoon and uh it, by the time i got off work and i knew i had to get that that video edited i was just like eh, i'm gonna go ahead and put it up so but yeah it's the one that it went up tonight actually so yeah i was in the when i got the notification so i haven't watched it yet <laughs> well it's a uh, it was a fun one. You know, Alabama, Alabama's been tough this time of year. Um, we've never got to open like a lot of the other states. Uh, October 1st is the earliest maybe that Alabama's ever opened. Usually it's about the 15th uh, of, mm-hmm. of October. And so we don't usually get to hunt much before acorns start falling. And right now the acorns are dropping, or they're not dropping as, as heavy as what they normally are during the opening week. So it's like, it's really tough to figure out some of these spots when you've never really had to do it before. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you'll see that, you know, and to anybody listening to this as well, you'll see that in the video. It's just been, it's been really tough. And and out here in the big woods, we don't have a lot of, a lot of ag. We don't have a lot of, um, a lot of those concentrated food sources, like food plots. We don't have a ton of that in the areas that I hunt. Um, You pretty much have natural browse and acorns and that's about it. And then, you know, occasionally you'll you'll run across a uh, a bubba corn pile out there, and you just try to get as far away from those <laughs> as you can. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but man, so so before we get into this, tell me how your season 
has been to this point for anybody who maybe doesn't follow uh, the stuff that you post on YouTube. How's your season gone so far? You talking about deer tracking or all the above? All the above. Yeah, let's talk about deer first, and then tell me how uh, we'll, we'll get into the tracking here in a little bit because that's what this this episode is going to be about tracking and trying to help help guys figure out you know um, when to make the when to make the call to, to find a tracking dog and things like that. But before we really get into that, I'm just I'm just interested interested to know. I've watched some of your videos from this season. It seems like it's gone pretty dang good. Well, I, I, it started off with, uh, you know, great. I got that buck in uh, Nebraska on opening day. It was like, uh, what day was that? September 1st or something like that? Or whatever day it opened. I can't remember. <laughs> um, and then uh, from then, I've been, from then on, I, you know, I went to North Dakota and then I came home and I, and I lived near Wisconsin. So I've been hopping back and forth across the border of Minnesota and Wisconsin. And I've been seeing deer. It's just, They've been little teeny bucks and does, and a uh, few occasions I've hunted haven't seen anything, mostly in Minnesota. But um, other than that start in Nebraska, it's just been kind of slow. I've, even the small deer or the deer I've been seeing, I ha- really haven't had a chance to shooting. I was going to shoot uh, a six-pointer one day, and, um, well, I did I did pass up a couple that I had opportunities. But um, it just seems like I can't. I can't get it all put together since that opening day. Um, and, and with, with tracking season about to start, you know, I went, when I was talking to my camera today, while I was filming my hunt. I was like, you know, whatever comes in here, I'm gonna I'm gonna start shooting because I I'm running out of time to to hunt. Because when when we get into mid late October, first week of November, my phone will ring off the hook, and I will almost have no time to hunt. So I better start filling some tags with something, or I'm I'm gonna have a bunch like seven year tags. Damn. So, well, I mean, so I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy with it so far. It's yeah. been going pretty good. Heck yeah, man! I mean that that buck he killed um, uh, back in September. That was a solid buck, and I know I watched that that series of videos from North Dakota um, as well, and it seemed like you you saw you had good encounters with deer there in North Dakota. Um, that's back-to-back years, though, that you've shot one in September, correct? No, actually, the one last year I got on the last day of August. Oh, wow. So, yeah, because their, their season came in on, like, the, what was it, the 30th, the 29th, the 30th of August. Man. And then this year, it got moved back. Um, I guess the way the late days landed on the calendar, if they'd started it, the week earlier, it would have been too early in August. It would have been like the 26th or 27th. I don't know how it would have worked out, but it would have been 27th maybe of August. So they started on the 4th this year. But, okay. yeah, I got a, I got an August bug, which was nice in, in, in North Dakota and last year, and then that nice buck in Nebraska this year. So, yeah, that's been, those have been two good years for me. So tell me, I know a lot of guys, a lot of guys wonder this. Um, especially this last couple of years, you've seen a lot more people producing content out of those two states for the early season hunts. You, you're living in, in Wisconsin, correct? That's where you live at right now? I, I live in the north suburbs of the Twin Cities in Minnesota, St. Paul. Okay. Um, okay. But so, we're close. I'm, uh, you know, I'm 15 miles from the border of Wisconsin, western Wisconsin, so I can I hop back and forth often. often. It's a little quick drive for me. So go into these more, uh, I, I guess you would call them Midwestern states, um, with yeah. with 
North Dakota and and Nebraska. Have you seen – is there, like, a big difference in as far as, like, the way the deer act? I know um, both Minnesota and Wisconsin are going to be – obviously, they're northern states, and so the deer populations are pretty high compared to a lot of the, the places that we that we hunt down here. But it seems like people are going to these states and having pretty significant success quickly on decent-sized deer. Is it, like it, – it, I don't. I don't want to push people there because I know a lot of people hunt those places. The hunting, the hunting is easier up this way for sure. <laughs> really, <laughs> and, and you're from the south, so you can say that, right? Yeah, I'm from South Carolina. This is much easier than hunting South Carolina. Okay, okay. That's. <laughs> I, I, I guess I've been looking for somebody with with uh, experience in in both regions that will just yeah. be like, yeah, it's easier. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm I'm talking in general, just general deer hunting. I'm not saying if you're coming up here to shoot a monster buck. I'm saying, like, when I hunt in South Carolina, I may go days without seeing a deer. And up here, it's not days of not seeing deer. It's whether you decide to shoot the deer or whether the one comes into bow range. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of that has to do with the open terrain and all the ag fields. And, you know, once you get a feel for it, you can pretty much put yourself in a in a spot to see deer um, uh, on a lot of occasions, and and the hunting pressure, depending on if you do it right, you can get away from some of the pressure. Like in Wisconsin, I rarely ever see a, another hunter, even in Minnesota, and, and a lot of you know I live in the metro area, the North Metro. I think it's like sixty or seventy percent of the entire population of Minnesota lives in these five counties. And so this public land around here gets a lot of pressure, but yeah. there's ways to get away from all that. You know, it's not extreme like in the South. I don't think they get as much pressure as some of the Southern uh, tracts of public land. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's two or three yeah. cars that every down there where you may have one access point here that has two cars parked there if, or none at all sometimes. And, um, and and those may not even be deer hunters. It may be a, a squirrel hunter in there somewhere. Hmm. So I mean, um, but I don't want to. I don't want to downplay it too much. I mean, it's not like anybody just walk in and kill something. But it is much easier just to fill a tag up here. I would say than do it in the deep south. Yeah, and that next year, next year I'm definitely planning on going to uh, to North Dakota. I was I was talking to Greg. Um, Greg Godfrey, who you were there at camp with in North Dakota, I was talking to him and, yeah. and he was like, man, I was in Kentucky sweating my butt off. It was just hot and miserable. And Kentucky's <laughs> a good state, you know, cause there's a lot of deer in Kentucky, but it was, it was hot. And this was even a cooler year than normal. And I'm watching videos of you guys wearing flipping hoodies and like seeing your breath and all this <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> but oh, it was, it was quite the difference from last year to this year is much cooler this year but i mean even when i was in nebraska you know the the hunting public guys greg uh, clements and gooch and uh and jake were down there not far from me hunting it was in the 90s that week you know i'm, I'm glad i killed my deer the opening day because what it hit almost 100 down there the next day when greg killed his Golly. and i was man i was driving north of north dakota and watching that temperature gauge in my truck just drop a degree per mile it seemed like <laughs> Holy um, cow! And yeah, man. that's cool. 
that's that's really cool. It, it's it's so different. That's that's one of the things that um, it's easy to get stuck. You know, seeing things just from your own perspective here in Alabama, or or even you guys you guys seeing stuff from your perspective up there, um, and how different the two areas are. And typically, we don't really talk to a lot of people that are in the northern part of the United States, hunting Midwestern states and northern states like that. We don't normally do that. I'll tell you, Shane, the only reason, um, the the main reason why I was like, let's get get Shane on is because you sound like a southern guy. You are a southern guy. And so, you know, you can be on the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. (laughs) Uh, But, but dude, so so you you started off with a bang. You mentioned getting into – tracking and that season is about to really just kind of get get booming and I, I know um most of the united states is open up now so i'm sure in a lot of those places i was watching one of the hunting public videos uh that they just dropped today of opening day in iowa and they've already they've already mm-hmm. got scrapes opening up and rubs and stuff and we're probably a month and a half away from that here for the most part um but i know it's about to get it's about to get pretty pretty hot and heavy um, and you said you said it's uh, around mid October is when you start getting the bulk of those calls. Yeah, and, and I think it, a lot of it has to do with there's just more people hitting the woods. You know, up here, one of the common themes you see on some of the social media pages is a lot of these Midwestern or Upper Midwest hunters they don't like the warmth. You know, I I love hunting in seventy and eighty degree temperatures. That's that's you know that's where I grew up hunting or hotter than that. And so like today it was 82 degrees and I was hunting and that was fine for me. And so these guys up here is like, man, I'm not going out in the woods till it cools off. They're not even going to bother with it. So you start getting an increase in the amount of hunters hitting the woods. And then you hit, um, you know, obviously the rut's getting close and the deer moving, you know, the deer movement much, uh, is increased quite a bit, So there's a lot more opportunities. And so, you know, and you know, the the number of trackers available is limited, and so our phones start ringing off the hook. You got a lot more hunters out there. You know, they some of not all of them are making bad shots. Maybe you know, there's a lot of cases where the intestines clog the hole, or you know, depend on the exit, or or just a piece of lung clog the hole, and they don't have a blood trail. But for whatever reason, you know, they need to call us. They call us. But those the volume of calls really increases in uh as you get closer to the end of October and then especially getting into the rut. Yeah. Shane also I know we're we're gonna talk here in just a couple of minutes. Um we're gonna throw some situations and stuff. But could you just break down for all of our listeners what uh, um archery season versus gun season in there and which one do you track more of, archery or, or gun? All right, so um I know down south, in South Carolina, we had the bow season came in like two weeks before gun season. And then, you know, gun season came in in the 1st of October or something. And it ran through the rest of the season. So down in the south, I, I think it's, I'm correct in saying in most states in the south, gun season is very long. Right, yeah. Is that the way it is in Alabama? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a good long season. We're going we're gonna to go from November through end of january okay and in the midwest like minnesota wisconsin um and i think some of the other states around here gun season is very short like here in minnesota is like two weeks long comes in in november okay. and it lasts two weeks you know and then they'll have a muzzleloader and stuff like that but 
it's primarily archery hunting up here. And that's okay. the, what I do the bulk of my tracking for. I actually don't do a whole lot of tracking for gun, uh, gun hunting. Um, I don't like to even get out in the woods up here <laughs> when it's gun season. <laughs> to, be, to be honest, if I do track, um, I, I, I usually do it at night, uh, in the evening during gun season. The, the problem with gun hunting or, you know, tracking gunshot deer is, you know, with, with archery, you see an arrow go hit the deer and that gives you a clue where you hit the deer. When a person shoots one with a gun, they, you know, they didn't see the impact, you know, like the vibrations of the bullet hitting the hide or whatever, you know, the right. deer kicks off. If they, they'll say, Hey, I need you to track a deer for me. I, I can't find any blood or anything, you know, you know, I don't know if you even hit the deer. And I may just be on a wild goose chase. And so yeah, I don't, try, and because of those reasons, I don't, uh, I don't really get a lot of calls for guns. Because if they don't find blood, a lot of them just assume they miss. Um, but I just, I usually, because it comes in in November anyway, late, mid to late November, it's getting so cold. I don't, I usually kind of uh, cease my tracking season when it gets really cold up here. Cali doesn't track very well when it gets, you know, in the 20, mid 20s or lower. Yeah. Every, you know, the ground's frozen. And I don't, I don't do anything I'm, I'm, well. In the cold like that, <laughs> I don't blame her. No, no, no. I can deal with the cold when I'm tracking because, man, it I am nonstop moving. So I, I start off with a hoodie. You know, it might be 15 or 20 degrees. I start off with a little hoodie, and then I'm sweating by the time I've gone a few hundred yards. But um, yeah, by by the time that gun season kicks in, I've done so many tracks usually that my body is just beat up and wore out that I, I really don't have the motivation to get out there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. What's your, what's your average year look like track wise? Shane? Uh, like oh, how many? I, I don't do a, a tremendous amount. Uh, I do about 30, I guess, or I've done more than that. My first season, I took about every call I could and I did a, a whole pile of them. But um, this year I can see that I'm going to be doing less than, than normal my daughter's bow hunting this year for the first time so i've been mm -hmm. trying to take whenever she's free to go um i when on days like that i usually try to find another tracker nearby to take the call um i, I feel guilty to, to tell you the truth when i can't take a track and it's nearby i feel guilty that you know i have a dog and you know i want to i want to be able to help them but at the same time i got to daughter that wants to go hunting and she comes first so oh yeah um but anyway i just several reasons i'll probably take less tracks this year i'm already about 10 tracks behind where i was this time last year um okay. but uh I'm, but as it gets closer you know mid to late october i'm gonna probably cut back on my hunting personal hunting and and take a lot of tracks during the week so i'm i'm interested to know shane um how you got started doing this. I know um, I have several friends out here who, who track locally and, uh, and usually it seems like it just kind of happened on them. Like they just decided randomly to put a dog on a deer and it found it, you know, um, mm -hmm. how did it get started for you? Well, uh, 
I don't know the exact order, but I know it was a combination of uh, one. I was at a, a hunt in Illinois, and I don't know if you're aware of Tracker John. I can't think of his last name, but we were on a turkey hunt uh, down there, and he, um, gosh, what's the name of the place? It eludes me right now, but he's a big-time tracker down there. He does a lot of tracking for, um, you know, whoever. But <laughs> I, anyway, the, we were down there on a media hunt, and in the evenings we'd sit down and talk to him, and he tells all these fantastic tracking stories, and it was just mind-blowing the things he was telling me. It sounded so cool, and I'm like, man, that would be awesome to, to have a dog and be able to find these deer for people. And that kind of just put it on the back burner in my mind. But then, you know, you, you get up here and you see on, uh, I don't know how it is down there. I'm sure it's the same, but like on the local hunting groups on Facebook, mm-hmm. ah, I shot a deer. What do y'all think of this blood? And, you know, uh, I can come, you know, be somebody saying, I can come help if you need help grid searching the next day. And I was like, man, if they had a dog, it would probably find it for them. And um, that was kind of another thing that put the thought in my head. But then I took a buddy hunting one day and uh, I called it, I grunted up this buck for him and I'm filming it. And he's, I was like, what are you shooting? And he tells me the broadhead and arrow. And then jokingly, I said, don't hit it in the shoulder. All right. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, here comes the buck broadside. And there was a little bit of broom straw grass in front of it. Vital. Nothing that an arrow couldn't get through. You know, it was like a foot in front of it. Well, he, he, shot and he smacked the shoulder and got about three or four inches of penetration that deer hauled up butt out of there and and i'm like man i thought i told you not to hit the shoulder he's like oh there's a little bit of grass there i was just aiming slightly forward of that grass let's man that arrow would have went right through the grass but um that's beside the point but anyway we searched for that deer that night that um that evening on social media you know there was a lot of people volunteering to come help us search the next morning so i said all right meet us at mcdonald's on this street right Next morning, zero people showed up to help us that agreed to come help us. So it was me and my buddy and, we, and uh, one of his friends, and we, we searched that whole area for hours that morning. I went ahead and put a trail camera out just in case he was still alive. But after that, that, that told me, I said, oh, I cannot rely on people to help us. You know, I'm getting a dog. and I'm tired of watching people, you know, you know, asking for advice and you they feel so helpless and uh, i wanted to do something i was like i'm gonna get a dog to help find people's deer or help at least give them some hope of finding it anyway that deer that he shot my buddy shot would turn back up on camera a week and a half later still alive walking around you could see the wound on the shoulder but that was kind of the straw that you know wrote the camel's back when my buddy shot that one and we couldn't get any help finding us like we don't need those people we're gonna get a dog to do the work for yeah so so mm. kind of thinking back to that time for you um what did your before you started tracking and really being able to gather because you've got a bunch of data that you have collected over over the years just of some of the, the statistics and and things that you've noticed on your tracks but for you personally what was your arrow setup like during that time? Um, muzzy three blade, hundred grain, um, just your standard arrow, uh, 
405 grains, I think it weighed total, total arrow weight. Okay. Um, just your basic arrow to get, you know, a nice shooting fast, flat trajectory. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's, that's going to be pretty typical for most people. Um, and, and I guess, spoiler alert, after you started tracking and collecting a lot of data, uh, how did that change for you? Well, I, I left my arrow set up alone. Uh, the main thing, the thought to me was fixed heads were the way to go because it seemed like um, most of my tracks or most of the, the deer we couldn't recover were deer shot with mechanicals. And so and early on the first year or two, I thought, okay, that was the issue, mechanicals versus fixed. And as long as I stuck to a fixed head, I was good to go. But as I collected more data from following years, it didn't seem to matter whether it was fixed or or a mechanical. It mattered whether the hunter got a lot of penetration or a complete pass-through. Mm. It was those shots that were limited penetration shots that we never could recover or we recovered a lot less of them. I think our success rate on non-pass-through deer that we track um, it's like 20-something percent, where it's almost 70% for deer that were had a complete pass-through, or 60-some-odd percent. So um, that told me then that, okay, I need a, I need an arrow that guarantees pass-throughs, or at least and gives me the best chances of a complete pass-through. Um, there is some downsides to mechanicals, um, you know, affecting pass-throughs, so I wanted to stick with fixed but I also wanted to bulk up the weight, you know, and then I ran into Ranch Ferry. I think Ranch Ferry contacted me before I even knew who he was on YouTube. And um, I started watching all his videos after he contacted me. He was wanting to see some of my data. And um, and I made the decision then to beef up my arrow. Even though I, I was getting consistent pass-throughs, it seemed like, um, there were a, at least five occasions I can remember in my life where I didn't get a pass-through. And one was a when I was younger and I'm, and I hit high in the shoulder and I'm guessing a lot of that had to do with my low draw weight and my light arrow. Back then I was shooting for speed, man. I had an overdraw and, and short arrows. <laughs> I had like a 30 inch draw, but I had, you know, a 26 inch arrow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was, it was smoking. I mean, I was hitting over, I think I was hitting 319 feet per second. And the guy at the pro shot, when I used this chronograph, he was like, his jaw dropped. He's like, and I'm talking about a long time ago when 300 was like the, just now starting to become consistent with bows and stuff. He's like, man, how are you getting that speed out of that bow? And I had speed knots on the string. I had, you know, everything could. But anyway, that was one op- uh, one time that I didn't get a pass through. And then it was like three or four times I that I tried mechanicals out. And this was several different models of mechanicals. Um, that I didn't get past those. Now I found the deer on those ones I shot with mechanicals, but it was because I was hunting a, a marsh and I could watch the deer run off about 300 yards and then I saw him fall over. Mm. One of them I didn't have a single bit of blood to follow because I didn't I didn't get a pass through. I hit him high in the you know at the angle because he was like 20 yards away, and the arrow the arrow didn't go through. And I'm like, man, that sh- that arrow should have busted right through there. So. Anyway, I switched back yeah. to fix. You know, that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm just, just the, the data, even though I haven't had a problem with my setup, the data's telling me 
to fix it before it becomes a problem. And that's kind of what my thinking is right now. Well, you know, it's just a, it's just a matter of time. I think, uh, as a bow hunter, um, to, before you have a situation, you know, I mean, I can think of plenty of times where, you know, just the, the situation, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about, um, Drew, you kind of know already what happened, but in the, in the video I just uploaded yeah. today, I shot, um, I shot a doe and the, the, the scenario that kind of the way it laid out was I had a tree branch. She came into my six o'clock and so I was in the saddle so I can shoot back that way pretty easy. Um, but I was using a tree behind me for cover and I had to get up on my tiptoes on my platform to see up over, over that tree branch to get a shot. Now, an average, an average height person probably would have been like, just been able to shoot over it. Drew would have been able to just shoot right over it, but I'm five, six, I'm a little bitty short guy. So I had to, you know, stand up. On Here's the tip. The platform a little higher. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, I really thought there was no chance of the deer coming right there where they did. Um, I'd hunted this spot before, and that just really wasn't something that they did most of the time. And yeah. so I, I wasn't planning on coming from that direction. Regardless, I, I shot and wasn't super aware of where I hit. I know I knew I hit it, and within 15 seconds, that deer was dead in eyesight. So I was like, well, I, I smoked it. You know, I I smoked that deer. I, I must have, it was a hard quarter to waste shot. Um, I knew I aimed back, um, and she ran, I mean, 20 steps and fell over dead. And, uh, mm -hmm. so, I mean, all you have to think of is like, you know, I, it's dead. So I don't really care where I shot it at this point. I know it's dead right there. Um, when I got up to the deer, I had actually shot it pretty dang far back, which makes sense just because of the, the scenario that I was in. I shot it pretty far back, and it exited out of guts. Well, I mean, it hit the it hit the femoral, but it, it went all the way through the hip and out the guts. And like I said, the deer died in like 15 seconds. It was so short. It may have been shorter than that by the time the deer was dead. But um, that was after – I've shot a lot of deer. Um, I've made bad shots on deer before, and it almost never has worked out that way. And I don't think it's – I don't really think it's like just a just a coincidence that the first deer that I put a bad shot on with a high FOC arrow died that fast. And I've noticed a difference this year just just because of the, the things that have um, kind of gained popularity. One of the things being uh, Ranch Ferry and his videos with the hunting public and um, a lot of people have switched to that. And I've noticed on a lot of the YouTube videos that I've watched. This year specifically, deer are dying in eyesight of these people that have switched. Like, they're yeah. dying fast. It's, have you noticed that? It's funny that you say that. It's because um, me and two of my buddies, we have a text message group that we were messaging. And one of my buddies mentioned that earlier today while I was in the stand. He's like, man, I just watched DIY Sportsman Garrett Prawl's video where he shot that doe. He said, I don't know what it is with these heavy setups, but they all seem to be dropping in sight, you know, dying pretty quick. Like, they don't know what hit them. Yep. Yep. That's, mm -hmm. it's so true. Uh, Greg's buck that he shot in, uh, in North Dakota, um, that video went up, and he put a, a shot that a lot of guys are going to say that was not the right shot to take. 
but he was comfortable with it. The deer died in 70 yards. I mean, he died so stinking fast. And he's using that big 200-grain Maasai broadhead with it. And, I mean, it's just they're doing damage. And, and you know, even on shots that are, are less than perfect. And I think for so long people have been told, like, you have to hit them quartered away, slightly quartered away, right behind the right behind the front leg, the armpit, I guess you could call it, right in that soft area mm-hmm. and get it to come out that opposite shoulder, which, yes, that is the best shot to take. But there are other ways to kill a deer, and I think that's being proven. I really think that that's being proven right now, um, that you want you want to have your best chance. And so um, so that's, you know, kind of wrapping up that. We've, we, we did an episode with, uh, with Troy here uh, about a month ago, and, and it was a great episode, tons of great information. And anybody that's looking to do this and you've been living under a rock, uh, go – Type in on YouTube Ranch Fairy and you'll be able to see everything that we're talking about. Or just watch a lot of these guys that are shooting deer with heavy arrow setups and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so yeah. so you have you have been um, collecting a lot of, like I said, a lot of data. And so you've, you've seen a lot of different scenarios, Shane. And I want to talk about um, some of these scenarios. Um, but before before we get into it, I want to hear some some percentages, I guess. Uh, so you, you said, what was the percentage on mechanicals that you've like recoveries on mechanicals? Um, actually I have the spreadsheet in front of me. If you give me just a second, I'm going to scroll over and see if I can find it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I think I, I think I have the right spreadsheet here. I was, I'm creating a master tracking report that includes all my years of tracking so far. Um, how many, how many years have you been doing it? We didn't cover that. This is my fourth season, so I'm, I haven't been doing it long. I'm still okay. new. And, and I and I use that as a disclaim, disclaimer a lot. You know, people <laughs> ask me for advice. I'm like, look, dude, I'm just, I'm still a rookie. I'm, I'm just, uh, I started, for whatever reason, I started keeping stats the very first track I took. And, and um, I've kind of enlarged the, the amount of uh, data points I'm keeping. But, um, all right, let's see if I can find this. Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> sorry for holding you up. That's okay. I can edit. I can edit. No, out. It's good. not a big deal. Uh, I'm trying to find out. I had a, I'm going to go to the Cali Chronicles Facebook page because I, I can't say for sure that this, uh, the spreadsheet has formulas in it and this master sheet I'm creating. I, I don't know if the form, the, the formula that's embedded in that cell for the totals is correct right now. I'm still adding all the cells, you know, all the tracks together. Yeah. Um, let me scroll down on my Cali Chronicles page. I think I have that post on there somewhere. Okay. I'll let it, I'll let it, once you find it, give me about 10 seconds of silence so that I can, uh, I can know that in the timeline that that's where I need to edit out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's probably good. I'm waiting on you. Yeah, I said <laughs> I said that. Oh, you're waiting on me to talk. Yeah, we were just taking a moment of silence for all the unrecovered deer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it, 
it was almost so long that I that I almost stood up here in my living room, took my hat off, and looked for a flag. <laughs> <laughs> I may just leave that in because it's freaking funny. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> so I, I want to know like stats on mechanicals versus uh, fixed. We don't have to talk about necessarily weight or anything like that, or types or anything like that, but just the stats, the percentage of deer that you recover um, or that your dog recovers um, with mechanicals and then the percentage that they recover, that, that she recovers with fixed blade. Yeah. And, and, and obviously people should know or will know that these stats don't, they do represent something, but um, you know, depending on how you look at it and other data points, uh, it can affect things, but just at face value, uh, with mechanical heads, we had a recovery rate of 41% out of all the tracks we went on that were the deer were shot with mechanicals. And then with fixed heads, oh wait, sorry, yeah, fixed heads, we had a recovery rate of 46%. So not a tremendous difference there, a little bit of an edge to the fixed. And this, and this is back to the point earlier where I said early on I thought it was mechanicals versus fixed. But as my data, you know, started accumulating those numbers got closer together as you see it's only 41 percent versus 46 not a huge difference yeah the the other thing came when we got talking about pass-throughs mechanicals had a pass-through rate of 41 percent fixed heads had a pass-through rate of 74 percent wow wow that's a that's a that's a big jump yeah and you remember i said earlier that our pass-through recovery rate for pass-throughs um were fit is 59 percent sorry I, I, earlier i said 60 something but it's for any deer that we tracked that was had a pass-through we recovered 59 percent of them and for a deer that was, didn't have a pass-through we only recovered 21 percent of them wow so you know obviously the the guys shooting mechanicals were getting off far fewer pass-throughs and pass-throughs seem to be the best, our best odds of recovery. So let me ask you this, too, with that. Um, I'm just going to take an educated guess and say that the you get, I would say, probably quite a bit more calls of hunters not being able to recover their deer with mechanicals. Would that be accurate? Um, I can actually tell you, yeah, we had 59 uh, of the, those when we hit – this, these stats I'm reading are when I hit the 100 mark, my 100th track. Okay. Um, out of those 100 tracks, now this number, these numbers aren't going to add to 100 because I did a couple tracks there too. I can't remember. Just a few of them were gun tracks. But it was um, 59 tracks were for mechanicals, 35 were for fixed. Okay. I mean, so, that's, uh, that's pretty hmm. significant. Yeah, and, and I, I'll tell you, the first thought somebody's going to uh, bring up or is, uh, well, mechanicals outsell fixed heads in the stores. Well, that may be the case because people a lot of times sharpen their fix and reuse them depending on what kind of fix they are. Uh, mechanicals seem to be disposable. But when we polled, you know, we polled myself and, and several other people polled um, groups, hunting groups from the south, uh, Wisconsin, you know, like we go to Wisconsin deer hunters, you know, the Facebook group. And we collected a bunch of polls and almost every single poll, every time when we asked, what are you shooting for deer fixed or mechanical? The 
results were almost 50-50 split. Hmm. So whether huh. the, whether the mechanicals are out selling them at a pro shop, and that was the biggest uh, the biggest um, comment we got. Hey, I work at a bow shop. We sell a lot more mechanicals than we do fix. Hmm. I say, well, maybe the case, but as pole after pole shows that they're split on the hunters what they use. Yeah. So yeah. based on that, it, it seems that even though the same amount of hunters are using each broadhead, we're getting a lot more calls for mechanicals than we are for fits. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And it also, I mean, what you said about more hunters using, uh, reusing fixed blades. I mean, I've, I've got, uh, I, I thought it was funny that you said disposable. I feel like a lot of the mechanicals out there should be labeled as, you know, this brand disposable broadheads because that that seems to be the case like um like i said with that doe i killed the other day with uh i'm using a vpa 175 grain mm-hmm. two blade and it smashed through the hip and like i mean that's not light bone right there and it smashed through that and uh it's stuck in the dirt and it is completely sharp reusable right at, i mean when i pulled it out i washed it off in the water and put it back in my quiver as a backup arrow um, because it's it's in just as good a shape almost as what it was when I put it in there the first time. And so I, I totally yep. get that. You know, I, as long as I'm using these, I probably won't ever have to buy them until I just lose them all. Um, and so, and with, with other brands. Do like, do like Garrett did. Uh, I don't know if you saw DIY Sportsman. I'm wearing his he shirt shot. right now, actually. <laughs> We shot that doe in that in that uh, that bog or whatever it is. Uh huh. It I threw through the doe and the and the air went all the way down in the bog and he can't even see his lighted knock. He went below the lighted knock. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So so I have a, I have another question and you may or may not have an answer to this. Is there a is there a brand of broadheads? Obviously, I don't want to tear a brand down because I could probably make a pretty good. Uh, good guess on the most common is there a brand of mechanical heads that you that you have seen be the most lethal uh it's hard to say um it seems like uh, well i've got i had this stat somewhere about as far as forward opening broadheads versus uh rear deploying broadheads it seems like the Gosh, I don't want to say something and it be incorrect because I don't think I have it in front of me here. That's fine. But um, yeah, it did, the the most popular broadhead was the one we most tracked for, obviously. Um, but yeah. it seemed like there was uh, the other one was a, another popular forward open broadhead, and although that and I think that didn't seem to suffer on pass through, but it had a higher recovery rate, and I think it was doing more damage or something I'll, yeah. I'll have to go back and confirm that but and yeah. the way I, I classify all mechanicals in the same group they've got moving parts they're using up energy um and so and i do keep a, a, a track uh, i keep stats on the or i keep track of the names and models of each broadhead and there was a there was a fixed head that kind of went to the top of the list that that it may be, I don't know if it's a, a top selling one. I don't believe so. It wasn't a muzzy, 
but it seemed to have more tracks for that particular head than fixed head than any other ones. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, hmm. That's, yeah, I think yeah. the reason, and I think the reason that it was was the, the, the design. The the design of this head is 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 very I mean it's a very well built head, put it that way. I even used it a few times. But what and and I quit using it for one main reason. The angle and I, what what would you call that angle of the blade? Like I think I have a three to one uh on the ones I'm currently using. They really yeah. gradual I see what you're the saying. I know, the, yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. They're lo- longer versus shorter. Yeah. This was yeah. a very short head, you know, one, one and 16th inch wide cut. And so, you know, the blade, the, the blades were very sharp angle or, you know, almost flat hitting the deer. Yep. And to me, that seemed to uh, sacrifice energy or momentum when you're trying to get through that deer and, and, uh, and I went away from that. Because that was another thing. I was like, I, I want to build my arrows for pass-throughs, and that just seems to suck up energy, having such a sharp angle of blade. And that broadhead, like I said, ended up being the, the top fixed broadhead for tracking calls. That's interesting. Yeah. That's a, that's something yeah. that I have not heard talked about a lot, is that, that blade angle. I think that's uh, that's definitely good to know. Now, now talking about um, maybe you have a stat for this, and then – uh, I guess we'll we'll move on to the more scenario based questions. But do you have a stat as far as um, the like two blade two blade versus three blade versus four blade or anything like that? No, I haven't uh, created that yet. <laughs> um, but I I probably can because I kept uh, with each track I keep the name and, yeah. and model making my broadhead. So I'd had to. I'd have to dig into that. Like I just made a post the other day and you may have seen it about, um, uh, uh track, the age of the track and our recovery rates mm-hmm. for that. And mm-hmm. I, that's because I went through and started digging into the information that I have saved. So it's just a matter of going through the list of, um, the broadheads and, and, or whatever data I have for two blades versus three blades, whether it be mechanical or fixed. Um, and then I guess I could do a, a subset of uh, two-blade mechanicals versus three-blade mechanicals. So because there are some three-blade mechanicals out there, and mm-hmm. you know, and with six, but just I'd, I'd have to. No one's. I'm not, I haven't thought about that <laughs> data set, and uh, unless somebody requested, I wasn't going to um, put it up there. I guess <laughs> yeah. I hadn't even thought about yeah. that. So if you want to put in a request, I'll I'll go through the numbers as soon do as you, I get. Do you have that request form on callingallturkeys.com? Because I will uh, I'll put it in there. Uh, yeah, shoot me a message on Facebook. <laughs> All right, Drew. Drew, you got a question? Yeah, Shane. I I, I was looking. Um, um, I'm here on Cali Chronicles too. I'm I'm looking at at some of the stats, and one of them was the average distance from shot location to recovered deer was 456 yards. And, um, that, that seems like a long way. Um, so, and this will kind of lead into what I, I think, um, Parker was getting at earlier when we talk about the situations, what are, what are some of the mistakes that you see hunters make that causes a deer to go almost 500 yards? Uh, the, The number one mistake hunters do is they track too soon based on, I think a lot of hunters need, they need to put in a, in a, and um, what do you call a hunter education class? I think they need to put in a segment on 
what to do after the shot because a lot of hunters make mistakes too soon. And I went on a track the other day. The guy shot it, um, had gut matter on his arrow. He tracked it and jumped it. And, I mean, he tracked it almost, you know, like he waited 30 minutes or an hour or whatever it was. And he should have been giving it 12 hours. He tracked it and bumped it. Tracked it and bumped it again. Tracked it and bumped it again. I was like, what made you think that deer was going to be dead after you bumped it the first time or the second time or the third time, you know? <laughs> um, it just kept tracking. I mean, obviously, you're not catch the deer. I mean, so why are you... Anyway, we didn't recover that deer, and, and that that seems to be a common theme. It, when I go on tracks, is yeah, we started tracking, and we got about six hundred yards into it, and we think we bumped the deer. And I'm I'm like, <laughs> after about two hundred yards, you should have been thinking about maybe backing out, or maybe it wasn't as good a shot as you thought. And and at least, you know, at the very minimum, a lot of people think that okay, if I have to back out, I've got to wait until tomorrow morning, you know. No, not necessarily. Maybe you only need to give it a, a no four or five, six hours. There's no law saying you can't go back out there. At least I'm not aware of at one o'clock in the morning to finish tracking. Um, the other excuses I get is, oh, I got to work tomorrow, or it's supposed to rain in the morning, uh, or rain tonight, and so I wanted to hurry up and track the deer. I mean, none of those things is going to kill that deer any quicker. So whether it's going to rain or whether you have to work. And you need to find that deer quicker. If you jump it, you're just not going to find it at all. So either call in, call in stick to work, or call in and say you're going to be late. You just got to deal with the rain. You know that's that's what forecasts are for. Um, take, you you got to take those chances that that's going to be the, the case. But to answer your original question, yes, the number one reason is hunters track too soon and they usually bump the deer. And uh, then they just, you know, once the deer's been shot the bow, they really don't know, or an arrow, they don't really know what happened for the most part. But mm-hmm. when they see it, you know, so they run off and they bed down fairly quickly. You know, like a gut shot deer they or a liver, they don't go usually 200, maybe 300 the most, and then they bed down. You know, to them, something hit them, and they don't know what it was, and stung them or bit them. But when they see a person coming to them, and they jump up out of that bed, they run a lot farther. And then they go through some nasty stuff. And so, you know, your best bet is to just give them time, assess the situation, call a tracker and get some free advice, because a lot of them will do that. And um, just don't bump the, don't bump the deer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's That yeah. would be my, I mean, the deer that I've shot that I haven't recovered have been for that reason. Um, and so I want to start with that. You know, I'm, I'm going to talk about my experiences more than anything. My miss has always seemed to be um, in a lot of it's it's kind of funny. Uh, if I were writing down stats, when I have shot bucks with my bow, I my miss has always seemed to be in the shoulder. But with does, it always seems to be in the guts. And uh, and so I want to start with that gut shot, because that seems to be the shot that everyone gets the most upset about is, uh, man, I shot him in the guts. Um, tell me a guy, say a guy, you know, at last light shoots a deer in the guts. Um, and they know it a hundred percent. They know they shot that deer mid body. It's a gut shot. Deer ran off. What, what should be their next move? Uh, next move is just, uh, walk out of there quietly. 
and I mean quietly, and kiss the deer's 100 yards away because they, you know, first of all, you're going to watch the deer's reaction as it leaves. But when it's time for you to get down and stand and get down quietly, you if you know for sure you got hit in the guts, you don't even need to walk over there and try to retrieve the arrow. Just slip out of there um, because you're going to need to give that deer time to die, you know, 10, 12 hours minimum. So it'll be the next morning you need to come in there. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's going to be warm tonight. Well, with a gut shot deer, the deer is not going to be, you know, not going to die instantly in most cases. And so the meat's not going to go bad if you give it overnight on a warm night. Um, if it was me, I'd be calling a tracker because there's a good chance you're not going to have a blood trail to follow in most cases. But I will say this, for, for trackers, this is probably our highest recovery rate is for gut shot deer especially on a clean track where the hunter doesn't track at all. Uh, when Callie and I were first starting, I think the first first season or two, we were at 100% on all gut shots where the hunter just backed out and didn't track. And um, we recovered all of them. And then we had, um, you know, then we finally had a non-recovery, but uh, for whatever reason. But those are usually the ones that trackers, you know, they don't like to see people shoot them in the guts, but when they get a call for it, a track they'd rather much rather it'd be a gut shot than a high shoulder shot <laughs> you know yeah because we recover most of those gut shot deer those are kind of like gimmies uh in a lot of cases um if they don't want to call a tracker from my experience a deer after it's shot when it runs away it usually or walks away it usually stays in one general direction they don't just weave off through the woods or whatever a lot of times, if they felt there was a threat that way, they just go straight away from that threat. And I've guided, you know, numerous people that called me or messaged me and asked me for advice. You know, I may be too far away to track. I may be two hours away. And, well, what, what do you think I should do? I was like, I tell you what, since there's no trackers available, just give it overnight. If you go back in the morning where you saw it walking, just stay on the deer trail because they usually stick to trails and, and go another 100, 200 yards and keep an eye out and you'll, you'll usually find it. And I've helped a lot of people to do just that and they go right to the deer and the deer is laying, you know, 150, 200 yards right down that trail right off the side of it. Mm-hmm. So that's the, for a gut shot. That's, those are actually pretty straightforward and, and have a real good chance of recovery if you do things right. I'll tell you this, Shane, um, and to, to kind of prove your point, since I learned um, about this and and talked talked to uh, you know several trackers and uh, even have some pretty close friends that do it now, it seems like my confidence level. I, I'm never going to aim guts. Like I'm just that's not what I'm going to do. I know a lot of guys who have this little bit of knowledge and they'll aim for the guts because it means higher success rate. But um, I'm never going to aim for the guts, but when I do make a shot that is a little bit further back, I tend to the anymore. You know, I I can go ahead and knowing that I have trackers that are available. Um, there's a lot of trackers in this area, and like you mentioned, you know, posting and finding groups. There's groups dedicated to it and all that kind of stuff. But a gut shot deer, I feel I feel confident that I'll be able to recover that deer. And, uh, yeah. and, and I think a lot of people get really bummed out and I get bummed out for the sake of the deer. I'm not saying that I don't, I, I hate the fact that the deer has to suffer and because of my bad shot. But when it comes to, man, I hope I find this deer, I feel like, you know, pretty confident that I'll be able to find 
a gut shot deer, assuming that I have the, the, you know, it didn't go across the property line or something like that. Um, but so I, go ahead. I was going to say, I'd be more concerned about coyotes. That's the, my fear with gut shot deer. It's not, I don't fear not fighting them. Like when my daughter shot that deer a couple years ago and she hit it in the guts and that, that video is on my channel as well. And, and I, you know, I didn't really like that, but I told her, I said, we're going to find this deer tomorrow. I worried all night about the coyotes eating it. And they, uh, unfortunately did get to it before we got to it, but apparently they had gotten to it, you know, just before we arrived. So they hadn't eaten a whole lot of it. And we were able to salvage about, I'd say about 60% of the meat. And, um, and that, but that's my main concern with having to leave a deer overnight, uh, mm-hmm. like a gut shot. Um, not, not that we won't find it. It's just, will we find it still with meat on it for us to eat? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially, yeah. especially when it comes yeah. to shooting does, um, where, I mean, the reason why I'm not, this is going to come out the wrong way and I already started it. So I'm going to say it when you shoot a buck in the guts, you can be confident that you're going to get that. You're going to get to take home that rack. Um, but when you shoot a doe, I mean, that is definitely a concern because that's why you shoot a doe. You shoot a doe 100% because, I mean, the trophy in that is the meat for sure. And so, um, you know, I've always I've always tried to, or, or since I've gathered this knowledge, I've always tried to stick with the six to eight hour rule. Um, and if I, if I can do that and if I get a dog, then we'll go in. I shot a deer last year in the guts and um called the dog in and the dog uh the deer was actually still alive when the dog got it over to us and uh the dog actually ended up chasing the deer back to us and so there are you know some situations like that but with a dog you're able to save yourself a lot of time especially on those gut shot deer that might not have a blood trail and uh and so I'll never I'll tell you this as long as I'm in a place where I feel like we can get a dog in there pretty easily, um, or if it's at all possible. Uh, if I gut shot, if I gut shoot a deer, I'm going to call a dog in before I even probably before I even get out of the tree. I'm calling a dog, and so um, yeah. It doesn't even have to be a bad shot to to need a dog. Um, yeah, and I want to. I do want to get into that too as a scenario as well. Um, and so I guess you know before before you get into that, I'll ask the question. You know, let's say a guy shoots a deer and he doesn't even know where he shot it at. Um, what what's the, like that happens a lot, especially guys not using lighted knocks. And I'm not using a lighted knock this year, um, just for the FOC purposes. So if you shoot a deer and you are, oh man, it's like eleven eleven extra grand a grain. Go ahead and throw your lighted knock. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I, I know, I need to. I've been real anal about it. Um, but I've also spent like four thousand dollars getting a heavy arrow set up. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's say a guy a guy shoots a deer, doesn't know where he hits it. What's his next move? Oh, well, I mean, if did he did he get a pass through? I'm, and these are the kind of questions I'll be asking. Did you get a pass through? Do you have the arrow? Did you recover the arrow to get clues from? You know, see if there's gut matter on it. The, the color of the blood the consistency of the blood, the smell of it, you know, those are the things. Um, so you think, the deer you think yeah, if, if you don't know, if you don't know where you hit it at, 
you think that the best move, because I know with the gut shot deer, you said, you know, maybe don't even go in and look for the arrow. If you're not confident in where you shot it at, you think it's more beneficial to go and at least try to retrieve the arrow? Yeah, I would, you know, do it quietly, but yeah, the, the arrow can tell you a lot of information. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if you, if you just walk out there, maybe you've made a good shot and the deer is laying, you know, dead, uh, 80 or 90 yards or, uh, or, or a little bit farther away. But then again, it could be a gut shot, but, um, as long as you go over there real quietly and get that arrow, I mean, that's a lot of information that arrow can tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would at least take that risk, get that arrow and, and, and don't go running over there. Just do it real quietly. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of times, um, you know, the, I get, I get tracked for that. You know, they, a hunter gives me a guess of where they think they hit it. And a lot of times that's what we go off of. Well, I was, I'm not sure where I hit it, but I had it right behind the shoulder. Um, you know, or something like that. Well, let's, let's take it as that's where you hit it, you know, and we'll bring the dog out there. If we jump the deer, you know, that reset the track. Mm-hmm. But if they're, tell us that maybe it was liver or guts, then, then we'll wait to come out there later. But I mean, it's kind of a, uh, just a coin flip. If you don't have any clues at all to go other than the hunter said, man, this is where I aimed. It felt good when I shot. I just didn't see where it hit or the deer did something weird. You know, it walked, it ran off 30 yards and stood there and looked back for, you know, for a few moments and then walked away. You know, even that right there tells you clues. That's something that a liver or gunshot deer does a lot of times when you say run and just stand there and look back for a while and then slowly walk away. Yeah. But without any clues, you know, and somebody says, can you bring the dog out there? It's like, sure, we'll track it. And if we jump it, um, then it resets the clock, you know, on the age of the track. And we'll give it the appropriate time. You know, we'll give it another, you know, we'll give it till tomorrow morning and we'll pick up the track again that type of deal so do you think um if if a guy if a guy does that he goes and looks for his arrow can't find the arrow um but he finds he finds blood um obviously if you can't find the arrow then you have to assume that it was not a pass-through but let's say he he can't find the arrow but he finds you know lung blood for example that's a Mm -hmm. that's a pretty good you know indication of a decent shot so he finds lung blood. Would you say that he needs to pursue or or give it the hour or whatever, um, however much well, time? Well, if it's uh, you didn't get the arrow, so you didn't get a pass through. We're assuming not a pass through. We've got lung blood. We're going to assume it's a one lung hit deer. And I've had the ex- uh, uh, the experience of tracking at least one deer like that where it worked out and i've been told by the other trackers that and and other people that with experience more than me that on a one lung hit deer the sooner you can get a dog on that deer to push it the deer cannot maintain um the oxygen it needs to keep moving with just one lung functioning Mm. and um that actually we we had that happen we were tracking a deer the guy shot it quartering away thought he made a good shot um was having trouble picking up the track anymore so brought Callie out there and and we ended up jumping that deer and i told the hunter i said um you know we're assuming this is a one long hit deer and we just jumped this deer 
the best course of action I'm told is to keep pushing this deer. Do I have your permission to keep pushing the deer? And he said, have at it. So I told Callie to go after it and I, I was on a leash now and I'm running as fast as I can behind her. We only made another 150 yards and there was that deer laying there again. It tried to get up the lead and it couldn't. It, it finally, uh, you know, it, its lungs just couldn't keep it going anymore. Mm. And that's what the yeah. that's what the case was. So if you know you got a one lung hit deer and you got quick access to a tracker, you can get there and run that track. Um, then I would I would advise that. Here's what I've been told by some, uh, and I don't know how true this is. And these these people apparently supposedly with knowledge that a, a deer has the capable capability of regenerating blood much quicker than a person does. Like if you get an injury and you lose blood, your you know body starts building the, the the stuff to make more blood for your body, right? Yep. Well, deer deer have the ability to produce it at like twice the speed. So if a deer mm. is injured and is able to, to rest, then their body automatically starts making, creating new blood. And that's, I don't know how true that is. So don't, don't put it as I'm the one quoting it. Uh, I'm just repeating what someone that supposedly has some knowledge of it told me. Um, and that's the, the reason why you want to keep pushing deer also is, you know, one lung hit deer, not only can they not maintain themselves with the oxygen, but they can't, uh, they can't start producing blood and stuff to recoup the blood they've lost. So. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think, I think pretty yeah. beneficial for people. I think uh, a lot of people assume, you know, if they, if they jump the deer, then especially if they think that they hit it in the lungs, then if they jump it, they assume, well, maybe I hit it a little further forward. And uh, because it seems like you're always told like, a deer hitting that spot, if it hits the lungs, then it's that's the right shot that you're trying to make. And uh, and so I've heard the same thing, you know, about one lung hit deer can go a lot longer, can live a lot longer unless they're, um, you know, pushing themselves and running or yeah, doing something now like well, that. Let me add this real quick. Um, I see a lot of advice given on, on social media of people saying, yeah, you need to push that deer. Uh, you don't, you only want to push that deer if you have a dog because as a person, you cannot track the blood fast enough to keep pushing that deer. A dog can run, you know, and and depending on if you're going to stay where it leashed or off leash, um, if you're behind that dog in this leash, then they can go as fast as you can run. (laughs) Yeah. But if you try to push a deer by tracking blood, you're not going to do it. That deer's just going to get more and more rest because it's going to take you hours to catch back up to it again. Anyway continue yeah no that's 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 perfect no. i think that's great yeah, yeah. um drew you have something Same, to add what yeah i was gonna ask a couple of things one is um um what what should a guy do if they make a good hit on a deer let's say the deer's you know standing broadside maybe quartering away makes a makes a good hit and um something that i've seen a lot of and that my buddies also have is that uh, you know, they, they, they have good blood for the first hundred yards and then it goes pin drops and then it, and then it stops. What should a hunter do in, in that situation right there? And then also secondly, um, I've always been told growing up, I don't know if it's true or not, maybe you could help me, but I've, I've always been told that if, if you shoot a deer and you're tracking it 
and, and you lose blood and there's water close by, but that deer's going to head to water, whether that's a creek, whether that's a pond, whatever. Is there is there any truth to that? All right, let's start with the first, the first one, and, and that was about the, yeah. the blood and it appears out nothing. That, that sounds like a typical high shoulder shot or just a muscle shot. Um, you know, the color of the blood is determined by the amount of oxygen in the blood. And that's why lung blood is really bright and liver blood is dark. Um, but muscle blood is really bright too because um, those muscles need oxygen and the body is supplying ox- highly oxygenated blood. Let me say that again. Highly <laughs> oxygenated blood. It's okay. We're used to, to talking to Southerners, man. Like, we don't know how to talk. Hey, it's got a lot of oxygen yeah. here, man. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they those muscle shots can sometimes look like lung shots because it's really bright red blood, and then you know, and then you get um, where the blood's poured on the ground and it creates bubbles, and it's like, oh, there's bubbles in it, and um, and so then that can be a little confusing. But when you get a muscle shot, um, a lot of times what happens, you have a great blood trail, and you're like, man, it was easy to follow. It was a great blood trail for a few hundred yards. And then it just kind of petered out and then nothing. And it just stopped. That sounds like a muscle hit to me. Now I'm not saying don't go track your deer, but right. maybe, maybe you didn't quite hit where you think you did. Uh, then the right. case can be a lot of times there's a piece of lung. I've seen this so many times, like a piece of the or, uh, internals clogs that hole. And, and especially if you're uh, shooting from a stand elevated position and the exit holes low, and that hole gets clogged, the other hole is up high. So if the blood can just stop immediately like that. Um, I would, um, of course, I'm a tracker. I like to get on these tracks the sooner the better. And if you think you're losing the, the blood trail and you think you may have trouble recovering this deer, um, if you can afford it, and, and I say if you can afford it, because some trackers charge a lot, but most of them don't. Um, I'd say the vast majority um, either... I know guys that do it for free because they enjoy it, just like we do. We enjoy hunting. Um, some of them just mm-hmm. take fuel money, and then some of them take tips and, and or a small fee. So at least find out what your local tracker charges anyway. But um, don't be afraid to put a, a dog on it. Um, I mean, the, the, the one about the water, I know there's some trackers out there that will disagree with me. I've, I've actually had this discussion with some trackers, and they, they – they agree that yeah, deer go to water if they're gut shot or whatever. They get thirsty or they they feel hot in their in their belly or whatever. But by my stats and from my experience tracking, and I've only been doing it since my fourth season, I'd say that's totally false. Now we have found a couple of deer next to water that they went and got something yeah. to drink. But there's not enough. Put it this way. Um, let me. I have it right here somewhere. Oh, it's in my Cali stats. Um, the amount of deer that were found, uh, we found six deer within 50 yards of water. And that was within 50 yards of water. You know, up here in Minnesota, yeah. 30% of the land area is covered by water. So there's water everywhere here. And we're still not finding deer in or next to water. But, um, yeah. you know, of, you know, deer going to water here is pretty high, but we still not find them there. I, I think most of the times what happens is, um, you know, 
water is usually, uh, especially in the south, when or up here in some areas, it's not all flat up here, but what's at the bottom of a gully usually? A little creek or stream is water. Right. <laughs> the deer just didn't make it up the other side. <laughs> that's A lot of times yeah. that's what the is that they tried to swim, swim a creek and they didn't make it across. Now, like I said, there are a few instances where we found water, I think at least two, where I found a deer bedded right to, next to a little teeny pond. And to me, it was obviously he went there to drink. But if I told you I only found two deer next to water out of a, uh, a hundred I tracked, you know, that's not very good odds. You know, you're not, that ain't no. something that I said, if I said I found two deer next to a highway um, out of the hundred deer I tracked, would you tell somebody as advice when they lose their deer to, hey, check next to all the highways? You know, yeah. it's just, it's not a very good stat to, to say, hey, check near water. The thing that I noticed is the most consistent, and I said this earlier, is deer seem to go in one general direction. As long as there's not some big terrain feature like a highway or a swamp or a lake to, to divert the deer, they usually stay in one general direction. If they're heading east, when they, you shot them, you're going to find them east of you. They're not going to make a big hook and go around and be you know, 500 yards south of you. Yeah. I mean that that makes a lot of sense to me. Solid. Um, and and it's it's kind of hard hard to argue statistics and data that the that is as uh, as detailed as what you've as what you've done. And so yeah. Um, you know, moving. Uh, I guess we we kind of started with guts, but I want to move a little bit backwards. So um, there's one shot that's that's a pretty lethal shot, um, and that is the femoral artery shot in the back leg. Um, if if you shoot a deer in that and you think, man, there's a chance that I shot it in the femoral artery. Um, obviously, if you shoot it there, then it's going to die pretty fast and it should leave a pretty decent blood trail. Um, would you oh, yeah. say if and, and you either have that chance or you you may not even you, there's a good chance you might. If you didn't hit the femoral, then you, you're probably not going to find that deer. Um dead and so would you say that there's ever situations where you need to call a dog if you think that you hit it um in that back leg well i mean take the the hunt up in north dakota with uh carl pursued from tethered Mm -hmm. and and i don't know if you saw that when he was shooting recurve and and i've watched carl's a, a great shot with his recurve and we sat out there and shot the target the day before, and and he was putting me to shame. But for whatever reason, he pulled his shot or something. And he hit that deer in the rear hip, you know, in the hips. And we luckily we had video footage to look at this thing afterwards, and and that was the discussion. Did you hit it? Did you catch the femoral artery, or did you just hit through the, the legs, you know, out the back? Mm-hmm. He on his in his situation, we had something going for us, and that was the little bit of gut matter that seemed to be on the arrow, the smell of it. He'd caught the uh, the last back half of the intestines, I guess, before they got the the, the poop hole. Um, so I told him, I said, even if you didn't hit the the artery, the deer is going to be dead. That's a fatal shot. It's just anytime you cut into the guts or intestines or whatever. Um, and when we were looking right there where the arrow come out of the deer, when it ran off, I, I wasn't seeing the amount of blood I felt would be an artery hit and, uh, the night was going to be cool. And so we decided to back out. And, and in that situation, 
um, it was it was easy to make decision to back out. If you if you suspect you hit femoral artery and and or you sus you didn't hit the intestines all, you just hit the back, the hindquarters or something, you know, you're gonna know it. Deer's gonna fall down within sight or or just out of sight, or at the very least you're gonna have a ton of blood on the on the ground. And so it'd be worth at least walking in the first thirty or forty yards of the the trail to see what the blood looks like. Yeah. If it's if it's pouring blood, that deer's as dead as a, a hard shot deer. Yeah, and that's you know, you you don't wanna aim for that because the margin for error is pretty huge. Um but that that was that was kind of the answer that I was wanting to hear. Obviously gut matter you're gonna know um by your arrow if you have that arrow. And so um, that's good to know. So moving forward, I guess, so we talked about guts. We talked, um, we talked about, you know, if you don't know, let's talk about the next part of the deer, which will probably just for time's sake be, uh, the last part that we talk about. But let's say you hit a deer in the shoulder and I want to talk about two different scenarios for a shoulder shot deer. Um, I want to talk about, you've got a, a heavy arrow set up and you it was a full pass through, but it was really far forward. And then I want to talk about you didn't pass through at all. It just, it hit shoulder um, and maybe got, let's say you think you got four to five inches of penetration. So let's start with that one. Um, you hit it, you know, it didn't pass through in that shoulder. What's your next move? Um, <laughs> go home and cry because you're probably not going to recover that deer. Um, those are the ones, those high shoulder, Limited penetration shot deer. Um, I don't think anybody ever recovers those as a tracker. Uh, if they do, it's far. I mean, very far and few between. We have yet to recover a high shoulder shot. And that's because oh. you're not hitting anything but muscle. Hmm. Um, a lot of the tracking teams just tell me the same thing. Like one guy told me he, he's tracked for however many years, and I, they've recovered one. Um, we hate to hear those come in. And, and, and it's easy to decipher whether it's a high shoulder shot. It's like earlier I was telling you about the muscle hit. Yeah, I hit a little high. I was, and I was right right there on the shoulder, but I hit a little high. And I had a great blood trail for three or 400 yards, and then it just kind of petered out. Sounds like a high shoulder shot to me. Um, we, do, we will take them. I took four in a row last year. And we didn't find any of them. And... Um, yeah, in most in most situations, I always ask the hunter to, um, to if they got trail cameras uh, to keep an eye on them. If they don't, put some out. But in most situations, those deer show back up on trail camera within two weeks or less of when that deer was shot, hmm. unless it's during the rut and it's a new deer to the area, then they never see that deer again because it returned to its home range after it got shot. But um, even with the pass through, your other scenario. You know, a lot of people don't realize they think the spine just goes along, you know, along the neck of the deer and along the back of the deer. The spine drops very low right there in the neck shoulder region. And you could, you can hit just a little bit higher than uh, midway up in the shoulder and you'll be passing through just meat in the neck, neck meat or high shoulder meat, you know, through the, yeah. So even though, I mean, there's no guarantee you're going to kill it just because you got a pass through. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that makes, is that, is that what you would consider to be like the no man's land that you hear people talking about? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's not that there's a void be- below the spine and above the lungs because there's no such thing as a void, but, you know, above the spine, the lungs go all the way up to the spine and even slightly above because how the ribs, ribs, uh, um, curve up right there. Yeah. And, uh, so there's, there's, when you hit there, the, the, the spine sits so low that you just go through those little, uh, spinal bones that are sticking up, you know what I'm talking about? They're like, uh, like on the back of a, uh, a dinosaur, uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I'm talking yep. about? Yep. Those little bones there. And that's just what the, um, shoulder muscles attached to. And so you just bust them through that. Um, you know, that a lot of, a lot of people, like you said, think of there's a no man's land, but if you, you can't have lungs that are smaller than the cavity they're in and, and, and inflate and deflate with air because it's just not possible because the air around it would be too much, too much pressure. If you try to inflate the lungs, it's all, um, yeah, nature, Nature doesn't waste space, like uh, Dr. Grant Wood said in one of his videos. He said, nature is very efficient. Why would they put air, uh, a void in the lung ca- in the chest cavity? Yeah. It's, it's all yeah. packed and compact. Yeah, that makes sense. And so um, when, when you – so that's kind of that high shoulder. Let's talk about lower, you know, just a little bit lower, um, which would be, you know, in a lot of cases where a lot of guys are aiming – where where I aim with a rifle is going to be crowded up on that shoulder way more than what I do with a bow. Um, so let's say a guy hit, you know, that a little far forward, but pass through and, you know, maybe it's not lung blood. Maybe it's, maybe it is a bright red blood. Is there any part of that far forward area that would be considered lethal? Well, unless you hit the brisket, and you get a lot of fat on your arrow. You'd see a lot of fat on your arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that that right there is not necessarily going to kill the deer anytime soon, unless it gets an infection or something. But it, you don't have to be. Uh, let me word this different. Um, you can be far forward and still get into the chest cavity there. Yeah. Um, as long as you're, as long as you're low. You know, the the way if you look at the way the lungs, or the spinal cord comes down right there in the shoulder area. And the lungs go forward. You know, when you gut a deer, um, and I don't know how you do it, but when I gut one, I just kind of slice up the belly there, and then I reach way up in there, and it seems like it takes my whole arm to get to the the other end of yeah. the chest cavity towards yeah. the front. It goes way up in there, and I shot. I think I shot two deer last year. I hit them right, like just slightly farther forward than the vital V, and I still killed those deer. Um, um, a little bit farther forward than I liked. The the one I think I did, yeah, I had a video of that one I shot last year, and um, she didn't die, you know, real quick. She died that night after we backed out, but it still was a lethal hit, and she bled a lot, and she didn't go very far even after we uh, we didn't bump her. No, we um we came up on her. She was still alive. And we backed out, but um, yeah, those can be very lethal too. Um, and I'd much rather have a low forward shot than a high forward shot. Yeah. So a lot of guys don't get penetration when they do that. Um, so let's say it's a little bit further forward and their setup is not great for busting through a lot of that bone that's in there. Um, do you have a, a statistic for like that that lower lower shoulder area that with without a pass through that um, that you might be able to share? 
Um, I wish I did, but that goes back to earlier where I told you I keep stats on everything, but some of them I haven't like uh, broke them down yet. Yeah. Like on my pass and non-pass I that's easy to look at. It's either A or B, you know? Yeah. But right. for every track that I've been on, I have a picture of a deer, and I have coordinates on that deer, and I mark the entry coordinates and the exit coordinates and how the deer was standing, you know, in relation like quarter and two quarter and away and so i can and i have the next row over my spreadsheet is was it a pass-through or not and uh well actually it, it also tells me in the exit it says no exit <laughs> um but i could break those stats down later you just have to put in another request and <laughs> tell you um <laughs> what uh and I'd, I'd probably break it down if it was me i'd break down all the broadside shots uh in their own group and say um, this is what I was actually planning on doing later was to create a graphic of a deer and put a lot of dots of all the hundred deer I shot or, or tracked or whatever. Um, all the green ones were pass-throughs and all the red ones were non-pass-throughs. And then, then that would be easy to just look at and see, oh, there's a high concentration of non-pass-throughs in this area. Yeah. Um, so that's that's something i got to work on in the off-season. And I may do that after track season ends this year, but... Yeah, there's a lot of – I wish I had somebody that would say, hey, Shane, I'd gladly take all this stats and I'll make all kinds of reports out of it for you. <laughs> <laughs> if you're out there – a lot of work. If you're there's out there, then uh, hit Shane up because <laughs> I, yeah. I think a lot of this stuff is just really beneficial for guys. Um, yeah. and, and that's really why we wanted to do this episode, and we're going to wrap it up. Um, Drew, do you have any more questions that you want to ask? Yeah, Shane, just um, like most guys, whenever they go in the woods, they 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 have their setup, you know, they have their kill kit, they have different things like that whenever they do get to the deer. But is there any tricks, tips, hacks that, that you've seen that can help a guy as he is tracking his deer? Oh, gosh, people make so many mistakes. <laughs> and, yeah. uh the, the the number one thing and and the, the simplest thing is mark your track with tissue or or something visible and I say use tissue I know some people use flagging and whatever I like using white tissue because it's easy to see it pops out on a flashlight in the dark and um, and then it easily disintegrates when it's you know we get some rain on something with all that flagging still sitting up there even if it's photodegradable uh, or is that the right word photodegradable flagging yeah. it's still out for a long time and just and just an eyesore but the other thing is when a tracker comes to a track um, if you had to end up calling in a tracker it's nice when they can see the flagging or the tissue because uh, a lot of times we will take our dog and start it on the track you know back from last blood and that tissue tells us oh yeah this dog is still on it i don't have to constantly ask the hunter did the deer go this way when my dog takes a turn Oh yeah, it did. You know, and I've had that cost me or, or hurt us in a, in a little bit because, um, you know, I was tracking a deer and, and Callie took me one way and then the, you know, the hunter said, no, it didn't go that way. It turned this way. And then I was like, Are you sure? And yeah. And then after I corrected Callie, Oh wait, no, it did go that way. I'm thinking of, you know, if you had flagging or something or tissue marking the trail, it's great for the track in there. But yeah. the other thing that also gives you a line of travel, um, when you're when you're looking back, it's easy to think, okay, the deer came from this way when you're just looking at blood. 
But if you look back and you see that line, you can say, oh, he's, you know, this is the direction he's going. And you can um, and kind of keep that way. Even if you lose blood, you can kind of know that that's the direction he's going. That goes back to earlier. I said deer kind of go in one general direction. They're trying to put as much distance between that threat as they can. And going straight away is usually the best way to do that. Um, that's, that's about the simplest thing I can think of. And, and you know, don't... I know people are going to, they're not going to pack tissue even after they hear this in their bag or something. And they're going to do like I see every single time is um, they mark blood trail with sticks when you're in the woods. They mark it with corn when they're in the cornfield. <laughs> and they mark they mark last blood with camouflage gloves or, or articles of clothing. And then, then you can't find, you can't distinguish the sticks from the real sticks and the corn from the corn that was already there and and you can't find your camouflage clothing. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I've run into that often. That's awesome. That's that's funny. I, I believe it, too. Because, um, you know, guys guys don't go out there expecting to make a bad shot. You go out there expecting to do what you did to a 3D target or whatever. And so having a, a worst-case scenario kit or just going so far as to yeah, I mean, carry something you know toilet paper or something like that is is kind of stretch. toilet paper for, for the original intent <laughs> anyway yeah. yeah yeah it's true yeah i've lost after a lot of gloves deer, that way <laughs> yeah after you shoot a deer then then use that and then replenish your supply later on yeah for sure for sure man well i, mean, I don't even if you make a let me add this. Even if you make a great hit, tissue is not marking a blood trail on the iffy hit. Mark your blood trail every single time. Get in the habit of tracking your deer. Unless, I mean, you see it fall down in front of you. Obviously, you can just walk over to it. But if the deer runs out of sight and you don't hear it crash, start by marking the hit site. And then every, you know, you don't have to mark every drop of blood. I like to do about every 10 yards or so. And just a little little teeny piece. And, and you get in that habit and then and then when you, then all of a sudden, oh, I can't find the blood trail anymore. I lost the uh, this last blood, and now you got it already marked. If you had to send, sometimes you have to send someone else in there. I've, I've known cases where people are like, I, I can't make it out there. Where you go finish looking for my buck tomorrow? It's marked with tissue, you know. And I uh, look for that stick I stuck in the ground, or look at that pine cone in that pine forest. I marked it with a pine cone. <laughs> you know. That's anyway. awesome. That's awesome. Well, Shane, I do appreciate you coming on the show, man, and uh, and staying up late after a long day of hunting. I know uh, I know that's tough, but I am going to be getting up in about four hours from now to try to go deer hunt for a little bit in the morning. So we're gonna wrap this thing up, dude. <laughs> tell us uh, tell us where we can find out some of these resources that you've been mentioning, where we can learn more about you, not just tracking, but deer hunting, turkey hunting, all that stuff. Well, the easiest place to find my stuff is on YouTube, and you just look up my name, Shane Simpson, and, and my channel should appear. If you have trouble, just type in Shane Simpson hunting, and, and it'll show up. Um, if you want to know more about uh, tracking in general, or a great resource, that's unitedbloodtrackers.com or .org, either one will work. Um, they have lots of... Uh, um, stuff there that like our books and uh what i was trying to say media <laughs> they have resources there to help you get into tracking or just to learn more about tracking and then you can join their facebook too and ask questions if you're interested in that or even if you're not interested in getting a dog you can you can ask 
about, you know, questions about maybe a deer you shot. But uh, there you go. That's basically it. Yeah, and that, that also, too, you know, a good resource. Facebook is a great resource to be able to find trackers in your area. I know I'm a part of uh, the Alabama Blood Trailing Network. And then uh, United Blood Trackers has a Facebook group. And then uh, there's another one out here called Nose to the Ground. And, uh, and that's a good one as well. So I, I'm sure every region has something uh, something there. And so if you, if you ask them out on Facebook, they'll point you in the right, right direction for your state. I mean, every I think every state has at least one tracking group. Yeah, for sure. Well, man, awesome. Thank you again so much, Shane, for coming on the yeah, show. Yeah, man. Appreciate it, Shane. And, Thank uh, you, man. dude. Great luck the rest of the season, both on uh, on your your own hunts and uh, getting Callie out there on some on some tracks. Yeah, appreciate it, fellas. Appreciate you having me on, and uh, likewise, have, I hope you guys have a lot of success the rest of your fall. Thank you, sir. All right, thank you so much, Shane, for coming on the show. As always, guys, you can check out Southern Ground. You can check out all of our old podcasts wherever you can find podcasts. You can find us on Facebook on Instagram, at Southern Ground Hunting. And you can also look us up on YouTube. It's going to be Southern Ground Hunting. That's the channel name. Um, Hopefully, going to have a lot of fresh content. I'm going to be editing, actually, the day that this podcast comes out, I'm going to be editing the the video from tonight. So I'm sure that will be up this week. Um, You can check out Shane's stuff at uh, the Cali Chronicles, Calling All Turkeys, and Shane Simpson. The guy just puts out tons of great content, and he's really good at it. Very personable and very knowledgeable. So I hope you guys will check that out. Check out um, ScreeGear.com. Go to Tethered Nation if you want to get into saddle hunting um, and all things that are wonderful about saddle hunting. It's it's so much fun. Um, And then also, I I wanted to give a quick plug for New Canoe. Now we're not. I'm. I'm. We work very loosely with New Canoe, but I do believe that it is the best um, kayak for this style of hunting. So if you're wanting to get into it, check them out uh, at newcanoe.com. Really cool stuff coming out of there. Yeah. So that's going to be it, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hopefully you're having great luck in the woods this week and this season. I wish you the best of luck. Remember, if you get out there, remember that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.